with the definition of providence is God pro- God's providing protective care, uh, also timely preparation for future eventualities. And First Peter uh, one verse five and six says this in the message version: God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. And I had that that uh, the lyrics from that Kansas song, Hold On. Baby, hold on, because it's closer than you think when you're standing on the brink. Hold on, baby, hold on, because there's something on the way. Your tomorrow's not the same as today. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth uh, for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to see how at the very beginning we can really identify with Naomi, that all along this story, she keeps bringing life, and this is a, a story where we can see ourselves, and sometimes um, I find stories much more powerful than just knowledge, which is a story you, again, you can identify with something unfold and you can recognize, you know what, that happened to me. Or you can see yourself in the middle of something like that and, and then you maybe you have some hope that something great is going to come from the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, we ask you right now to uh, come into our presence and that you would make this story from the book of Ruth alive to us today and that we would Open our eyes and open our hearts to your presence and providence in our lives. Amen. Read and look at God's providence. So the book of Ruth, I mean, just to just give some historical context, we have enough slides here. So the book of Ruth is between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And just to kind of back up, uh, so Joseph and his brothers go into Egypt to escape a famine that's happening. Egypt is, is now the home of the Israelites. Well, then years go by, and Moses rises up, and he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering around. Finally, the time comes, and Joshua takes the Israelites across the Jordan River, <coughs> And the, the 12 tribes begin to claim the land and possess the land that has been promised to them by God. And then we have the book of Judges with the, these kind of heroes, these Old Testament heroes. What was that one you were talking about? Huh? Ehud. Ehud. He's, he's a, a left-handed assassin and he stabs a fat king. Look it up. But then there's also like Gideon. For the Lord and for Gideon. And then there's Deborah who fights through an enemy's head. Yeah. And then there's Samson, right? Okay, so <clears throat> what is all this 
like the Wild West uh, of, of uh, the, the Israelites. So Judges 21-25 kind of sums it up. The very last verse in the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And then the next verse in our Bibles is Ruth chapter 5. And I'll be reading through this and then stopping to give it to you. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. So real quickly, a lot of times Jewish names have meaning. And so Elimelech's name means God is my. Naomi's name means the sweet one or the pleasant one. Isn't that right? Malon means sickly. And Kilion means failing or pining. chapter 1, verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, oh, that's the end of verse 4. So we'll stop there. <coughs> so <coughs> Moab is a neighboring nation the land of Canaan, and um, Deuteronomy 23, verse 36, this would be Moses speaking to the Israelites. He says this about um, the Moabites. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. These nations did not welcome you with food and water when you came out of Egypt. Instead, they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor, and distant Aram Hethraim to curse you. But the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you. As long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or Moabites. So we've got this Israeli family from Bethlehem. Famine strikes the land, and they set out to a foreign country. And the boys marry Moabite girls. Let's keep going. All right. <clears throat> but about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian die. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons, Orpah and Then... Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So, Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. 
with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's house, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husband this day. May the Lord bless you with the security of another man. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and said, No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. And then, so the next couple of verses, Naomi starts talking about what's known as Levirate marriage laws, which required a man to marry the childless widow of a deceased brother. Uh, the purpose of the situation, of this institution, was to preserve the family name and property. Okay, so that, that's going to give us some context for what Naomi says next here. So we're going to take pause. Verse eleven. But Naomi replied, "Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons?" Who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. Even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Naomi divorced them and went away. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his sister Again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. So Naomi is really taking a, a, an, an unselfish look at what's possible for these daughters-in-law in this situation. And then we have some, some of the most beautiful verses in the Old Testament. Uh, Ruth 1, chap, or, sorry, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth's words are used as a wedding gift to Naomi. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. So I, I, I thought this was fascinating. I, I like history, geography, whatever. So they leave Moab to return to Judah and the town of Bethlehem. Which, and I got this from my um, commentary. The journey of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, first involved descending from Moab into the Arabah Valley, a descent of over 4,000 feet from the valley's eastern rim to its shore. 
And then the pair had to cross a 13-mile dry valley floor, ascend over 4,000 feet up the valley's western side, and make their way to the wilderness of Judea to the village of Bethlehem. So I wonder if that has anything to do with the journey. Looks a little rough. Of course, you've been through a lot, haven't you? Walking down the mountain side and hearing these things. We watched one of those daughters in law who made a harrowing journey. So, remember what uh, Naomi means? Next to Susan. Verse 20, she says, Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Interesting. There's, and again, this is the story. This is the are saying. So Naomi recognized God's chastening in her life. And she sees the death of her husband and the death of her son as God's punishment for went out with a full family, but at a time of famine, and though the Lord brought her back empty as husband and son. So see that with a devoted daughter-in-law, with sympathetic neighbors, and at harvest time. And one thing you'll notice is she's never referred to as Mara. She's had to often abbreviate her name. So they come back, uh, verse 22, so Naomi, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. What about now? It's about April. So do we, do we take this as, yeah, you do things when you are my people. When, when I am your God, this is how you do things. And do we, do we take this as step out of line and start getting that Naomi's story isn't over yet. This is only chapter two. And, and let me say this, when God promised to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all nations, right, so even with the restrictions on Moabites from going to synagogues, basically, uh, even with the Elimelech family leaving the promised land to live in Moab and take Moabite wives, the Lord has a plan. And maybe you, maybe you know the, the whole book of Ruth. Maybe you watched that little seven-minute video from, uh, right now it's video, but, you know, 
to put out there by the December meeting. We'll, I'll throw in a little bit more of these details, but Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. When do we see ourselves as Famine in Judah is why he went. I don't know why he died, and the scripture doesn't doesn't say it. Naomi takes it upon herself to see the Almighty causing her to suffer, and maybe we do that, right? We're going along, living our life, making decisions, and maybe we don't. that are suffering, do we see God as making that happen to us because we step out in faith? Here's some redemption that, that I see in, in just in chapter 1. Again, Naomi is unselfish, praying a blessing over her two daughters-in-law, her new married daughters. And in Ruth's choice to follow Naomi and commit her whole life to her as family includes renouncing her Moabite One of the things that we see, or I see, in, in the kingdom of God is that relationship is the key link between someone who is lost and doesn't know Jesus and someone who knows Jesus and follows Christ and God's calling them. Ruth becomes a follower of the one disobedience on your part but he can't work together for your good you are called according to his purpose so what losses or deaths are you experiencing what hopelessness or bitterness have you thought of as your identity Taking it on as your name. Have you found yourself far from home and empty of the people or values that you never had? What does God have for you? 
Peter 1, 5 and 6.
Lord, I pray for your presence to be manifest in the midst of what we're doing. Amen. pronounce a blessing. Omaha Vineyard Church, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you. Give you peace. God look you full in the face.